Amen. Truly, the Lord is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Aren't you glad you know him in a personal way today? The creator of the universe, the savior of all men. And praise be to God for um, this wonderful Lord's Day that the Lord has given to us. Another day of life whereby we can worship him in spirit and in truth. And mind you, this is the Lord's Day. This is not our day. You know, um, this is the Christian Sabbath, so to speak, because the Old Testament Sabbath, um, God's people uh, are resting on the finished work of God during his creation week, isn't it? We hallow that name, that day and that name. We set aside that day to rest and just praise the Lord for the things that had provided for us. But when Christ uh, incarnated in the flesh, when Christ died on died on the cross for our sins, and after three days he rose again. Uh, the New Testament believers changed their uh, worship service, the Jewish Christians and Gentiles alike, from Saturday to Sunday. Because right now we are resting in the finished work of God for our redemption. If it's Sabbath, the people of God are resting in the finished work of God in His creation during Lord's Day or Sunday we are resting on the finished work of Christ for our salvation and redemption. That's why we ought to be in church. Amen? And if you can make it, there's another avenue whereby you can worship the Lord together with us virtually. And I hope if you're available, you'll join us simultaneously on time. And of course, we understand if you have to work, uh, then there's that advantage you can uh watch, rewatch our service. So we praise and thank God for your presence today. Um, God has been blessing us with wonderful days, isn't it? Weather-wise, uh, there's some energy surging um, individually as a family. And we thank God because it's God who gives us life, isn't it? Not only life everlasting, but new life and eternal life in Jesus. So today I'm uh, humbled to uh, stand behind this pulpit and once again, preach the word of God and teach it. And I pray that I'll be a blessing. So before we continue on, let's have a, a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, our maker, our creator, our sustainer, our uh, giver of all good things, we humbly come to thy throne of grace this morning, um, just worshiping you for who you are your nature, your attributes, and also for all the wonderful things you've done for us. We can always say as Christians that thou art a great God. You are the God of grace, the God of goodness, the God of greatness, and the God who came down into this world 2,000 years ago for Christ to perform his wonderful mission of saving all men from their sinful condition. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your blood on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rising up from the grave after three days. And we can say that we have this blessed hope right now as Christians awaiting for your next return. And while we wait for thee, O Father, may we be sensitive to the will of, of thine in our lives. Maybe we continue to worship. May we continue to wait. May we continue to work for the Lord. May we continue 
to be wise as your people because we are your children of light. We know, Lord, that we are living in a dark world, a world that's being corrupted by sin each and every day. But thanks be to God, Lord, because when we look upon, upon your word, upon the scripture, we find hope. We find assurance. We find wonderful words of life that will encourage us, Lord, to keep on keeping on living for you and serving you. So today, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and cleansing from any sins, iniquities, responses we've, we've done against your holy nature, things that we've done in our words, in our thoughts, in our works, in our deeds that's not pleasing to you. You know every one of them, Lord. We confess it to you. Forgive us. Wash us with your precious blood. I pray, Father, that your spirit will have a free course in our hearts, in our midst. I pray if there's one who will hear the message of this uh, lesson, will hear the good news of the gospel of Christ, that there is a Savior who loves them, there is a Savior who wants to save them. May they open their hearts, Lord, and surrender their, their lives unto you and repent of their sins and receive Christ as the Lord and personal Savior. For us Christians, as believers, as we ponder upon these predictive prophecies that's going to happen in the future, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Bible that gives us, Lord, a blueprint, an overview point of what is your program and plan in this world. And thank you, Lord, that we are all restly, resting and safe always in the arms of our God, whatever happened in this, in this world. We pray now, Lord, that you protect us as we are having this worship service and bless also our friends and brethren, our viewers who are online at their respective homes or whatever location they are in, either here or in the Philippines or other parts of the world. Bless them for their desire to know more about you. And I'm your servant, oh Father, I'm nothing without you. I'm so limited and weak and fragile. Help me, Lord, to speak thy words truthfully. Um, that I can make it plain and simple so we can be encouraged and be admonished by thy word. And we ask all these things in Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Right before we uh, open our Bibles and uh, read our passages of Scripture, uh, by the way, we are going to continue our series of studies in the life of Christ in the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 24 right now. And uh, Matthew is a great... Uh, book, uh, chronologically speaking, uh, portraying the life of Christ. We see his person from chapters 1 to 4, his principles in chapters 5 to 7 when he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And then we see his parables and miracles, his preaching from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 24. Well, we have a, a few slides here to um, start our message today. All right. This is a, a wonderful quote, isn't it? The Bible is God's word on paper. Amen? How do we get the Bible? It's the, the author is no other than God himself, isn't it? He revealed it. He inspired the 40 authors. He preserves it. And then he illuminates us when we read it. Isn't it? This is alive. No other book in the word has a life-changing power than the Bible itself. It's always accurate, it's infallible, it's inerrant in history, in science, in, in uh, theology, 
in archaeology, you name it. The Bible is the complete revelation of who God is and what is His plan and will in our lives. We don't look or seek for any other revelations, isn't it? Visions or dreams. Or another person who will stand up and say, Oh, I have a new vision. I have a new extra revelation from God. This is what He said to me in verbatim, and you need to listen and follow what I say. No, we, everything we need to have in this Christian life uh, until we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's in the scripture. It's in the Bible. So if the Bible is God's word on paper, Jesus Christ, the Logos, is God's word in person. And Jesus Christ is the greatest revelation of who God is. Amen? In the beginning, John 1.1 1, 1 was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was made, made flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't it? So Jesus Christ is God's word in person. And he's the one we're trying to magnify and lift up in our presence today, in our midst today. All right. Next one, please. All right. As we had studied last Sunday, we know that we are in the last days because one of the signs of the last days is that there are going to be a lot of false teachers. Isn't it? Wolves are preachers who offend no one. Oh, take note. These are their characteristics. Don't rebuke sin. Don't preach repentance and hell's fire. So be aware, isn't it? These are teachers and preachers that love to tickle someone's ear, isn't it? They don't want to offend anybody because we are living in the day and age of tolerance, isn't it? And uh, e people are easily offended nowadays. But you know that sin always offends God because sin is unrighteousness. And God is so holy and just that he cannot tolerate sin. It's against his nature. He has to judge it. But you know what? You don't have to experience God's judgment because there's the love of God that's readily available for everyone who will humble themselves and ask for it. Isn't it? So beware. That's why uh, when I witness... Uh, when we witness as, as part of our evangelism month, uh, it's good to, to share the bad news first. The bad news is we're all sinners, isn't it? We are all condemned. We all had failed God and His law. We all had uh, offended God. You know, not only for the inherited sin that we uh, accumulated from our first parents, Adam and Eve, inherited sin. We are sinners by nature. But also we are sinners by choice. Our involvement of sin, not just our inheritance of sin, but our involvement of sin. We, we know of some rules and regulations, some commandments and law, and we know the consequence when we disobey them, but we still disobey them. So we are all sinners. As the Bible says, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So you're lost, you're a sinner, you're already condemned. You're on your way to hell. That's the bad news. But the good news is God loves you. Amen? The good news is God has a way for you. God has prepared a plan for you, a way for you to escape that hell, that condemnation, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is salvation being offered to all men. So when a person preaches and he doesn't preach against sin or against judgment of hellfire, then that's a false teacher, false prophet, because God's word is always complete, isn't it? God's word is complete. There's the good news, there's the bad news. There's the evil and there's the justice of God. Next one, please. Okay. Something to make you smile a little bit. 
As I said, the Bible is the only book in all the whole world who can predict the future accurately, point by point. And in the first coming of Christ, 300 prophecies had already been fulfilled. And the Bible is like 35% prophecies, predictive prophecies. And we know when men try to predict something, you can uh, have a double mind, isn't it? And one of the examples, <laughs> of course, you know this issue about global warming and this stuff. Sometimes this is a propaganda by some um, government officials or higher-ups or elite just to have some control, you know, to have some money and, and you know, run by the love of money or greed. It says that the North Pole will be ice-free in the summer by 2013 because of man-made global warming. And look at that guy. Is that Tom Hanks? I don't know. Nope, it's still cold. 2021. Huh? There's still uh, ice in the polar cups. But uh, we know that one of these days, the true global warming is when God destroyed this world with fire and brimstone. Isn't it? Second Peter, when he is about to create a new heaven and a new earth. So, yep, man can always fail in his predictions, but God will never fail because his word is sure. It's true at all times. Amen? And we can count on it. We can depend on it. All right, next. Ooh, sounds like a, look at that. When you see that image, what comes to your mind? There's like, oh, the sun and the moon darken, being red. I, I think I have a colored one, no? Do I have a colored one? Yeah. Somebody says uh, anime. <laughs> there you go. Let's put some color in it. Mm, there's like a hell. And it's split wide open and the pits of hell. Like there's some like locust-like, scorpion-like creatures coming out. Or it's like, seems like they're going to torment people. There's fire and brimstone. They are like, what? Wars, isn't it? Armies out there. There's like plagues and pestilence and natural disasters. Of course, that pictures the seven most awful years of man's history, which is called the Great Tribulation. So actually, that's the main bulk of Matthew chapter 24. So let's open our Bibles there, Matthew chapter 24. And I hope you'll um, listen with um, focus ears, because uh, by God's grace, we'll try to continue our series of study here. And if I could request our folks, good folks here, to stand with me in respect of the Word of God. Uh, we covered Matthew chapter 24 verses 1 to 8 a couple of weeks ago. So we will study uh, verses 9 to 14. And I tell you, I'm not going to go in depth. And a lot of good Bible scholars had some disagreements with the chronology, chronology of this passage of Scripture. But we're just looking at the uh, outer viewpoint of this, and we know that this is the Lord speaking uh, from the temple to his disciples, namely, there, uh, this Peter, Andrew, and John uh, had asked these three different and wonderful questions about the end times. So let's start reading verses 1 up to 14. Let's read it all together. If you're there, say amen. 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 And let's read, begin. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? 
Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, what shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing and reading God's word. And we know that this is the Lord's final message on the end of the world, which is only the beginning of eternity, isn't it? For God's people. And we studied last week, the beginning of sorrows speaks of the birth pangs this world will feel both before the rapture and during the first, first portion of the great tribulation. We see in those verses, in verses 1 to 8, that there will be uh, a global spiritual deception. There will be a blurring of the truth. There will be heresies. There will be false teachers. And there is a lot, isn't it? And uh, there will be also national disruption. There will be wars and rumors of wars and treaties being broken. And also there will be physical destruction like famines and pestilences, and earthquakes, and even this COVID-19, global worldwide pandemic, which is just the beginning of sorrows. It's like a woman who is in travail, who is about to give birth. You know, their um, dilation, their pain start low, and then the intensity goes higher and higher. It starts slow, but the frequency goes higher and higher also. So it's not going to get better <laughs> as the, the humanists are trying to do. Let's make this world a better place. But the more sin people commit, the more judgment and condemnation is going to come. And God is just merciful. He's withholding his mercy toward this world. Imagine 7 billion people, more than 7 billion people of, of humanity's population in this world right now, Christians and non-Christians, and how many of us sin every day? Oh my, isn't it? How many innocent lives are being taken? How many are being uh, abused? How many are, uh, name it, sin that wicked heart and our evil imagination are, 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 are doing each and every day? If God is not merciful, He could have already judged this world, isn't it? But he's still withholding that because he still has a plan and a purpose for everyone's life. The good news is you won't find the church in this passage. 
because it is gone. Amen? Yes. Amen to that. And I tell you, Matthew 24, the primary recipient of this chapter are the Jews. Christ is talking to his disciples. He is talking in verse 1. Of course, there is a fulfillment of the first few verses when Christ said, you see this temple, this grand temple that you are proud of, that Herod tried to rebuild for the Jews to appease you, to, to, to make you like, like him, <laughs> even though the Romans are a tyrant. But I tell you, not one stone will be left one another. And it had happened 33, 37 years after he said this. Because in AD 70, Roman general Titus came into Jerusalem and destroyed this temple. Because there was a rumor uh, that the temple is laden with gold. And when they set fire in it, the, the gold melted and it went and sipped into the, uh, the bricks, the walls of the temple. And they had to like break it down and hold it and bring it to Rome. So it was fulfilled during the time of the disciples. So since then, there's no more temple sacrifices. So the disciples ask these three questions. Tell us when these things shall be. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So they're talking about Christ coming again, not in the rapture, but in the revelation. When he comes after the seven years of tribulation, when he comes to usher in his millennial reign. The day of Christ, his 1,000-year reign here on earth. So this passage is not about the rapture. This passage is more about the great tribulation that the Jews and the Israelites will experience during that time. So let's make that clear. All right, so the blessing is you won't find the church in this passage because it is gone. Aren't you glad we are not appointed unto wrath? There are people who are preaching even in the Christian circles, you know, uh, I think the church will go through the mid part of the tribulation or will endure until the seven years so we can be purified, so we can be, be, be presented blameless unto the Lord. They use that passage of scripture. But you know what? I have good news for you. You know, when we got saved as a Christian, as a believer, positionally speaking, in the mind of God, we are already justified. We're already blameless. That's positional sanctification. It's, it's like Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, like in the mind of God, because he's not contained with time, past, present, and future. God is always there in the past, in the present, in the future, and all in between. For him, everything that had transpiring right now had already happened. So in his mind, you're already seated in the heavenlies. If you're a genuine Christian, if you have repented of your sin and received Christ as your Savior, in God's mind, it's like you're already in heaven. That's why we have eternal security. Amen? We have blessed assurance as, as our salvation. If you are really saved, you will never lose your salvation. And if you're really saved, there's going to be a change happening in your life. Because there's a new nature. There's going to be a fruit. If that's a re really a genuine conversion. But the sad thing to say ngayon, Marami lang ang nagiging kristyano sa nguso, pero wala sa puso, sabi nga nila. Diba? It's just a profession, not a possession, because there should be fruits, there should be marks, there should be evidence that there's something new that had happened in your life, if you are really saved. Because somebody can profess, oh, I, I, I prayed a sinner's prayer 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Oh, I went to Sunday school and I got witness too, but they still live the same life they ever lived. Then there's, we're not judging there's some question, 
questions about their real personal relationship with God. Isn't it? There ought to be a change. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But praise be to God, if you're a real Christian, you will not go through this. That's why we teach here the pre-tribulation rapture of the saints. Amen. We are not appointed unto wrath because God's wrath against sin was already received and experienced by Christ when he was hanging on the cross. We don't have to go through it. And I don't want to go through it, humanly speaking, because this is going to be a terrible seven years. It's like hell on earth. The same thing happens in Revelation when, when we studied that book where up until chapter 3, it's all about the church. Remember? Chapter 2 and 3 are the seven churches in Asia Minor. And over and over again, it says, He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This was repeated several times in the, the churches in Asia Minor in Ephesus. He had an, an ear. Lumalabas yung pangapampangan ko. He had an ear. He had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Was addressed to the churches in Ephesus, was addressed to the churches in Smyrna, was addressed to the churches in Pergamos, in Thyatira, in Sardis, in Philadelphia, in Laodicea. But look at Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. Revelation 4 1, I think we have that. It says there, and this I look, behold, John the Beloved is speaking, who is the writer of the book of Revelation. A door was opened in heaven after he just uh, spoke about the seven churches in Asia Minor. And the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet, meaning it's really loud, talking to me, which said, come up hither. It's like a picture of being raptured, isn't it? Come up hither. Halika na! Time to go. Time to leave this old world. Because this world is not our home. Amen. Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And from since that time on, Revelation chapter 4, all the way to chapter 13, all the way to chapter 19, we haven't seen the spirit and the churches. Because look at Revelation 13, 9. Before, it's always saying, he that had an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith. But Revelation 13, 9, it says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. What's missing? Something was missing. The spirit and the church. Isn't it? And I tell you, Satan's full program cannot run while the spirit is still here in the hearts of believers. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit of God, the third person in the Trinity, the silent one, so to speak, is what we call the restrainer of evil. You think it's bad right now? Wait until the Holy Spirit is taken away from this world. And how can the Holy Spirit be taken away? I thought God is everywhere. Yes, He is. But the Holy Spirit, isn't it, resides, indwells a person when they become a child of God. Isn't it? In this New Testament age, in this church age. Remember, the Holy Spirit never permanently resides in a person during the Old Testament. They come and go. Like Saul, like Samson, and other Old Testament characters. The Spirit of God uh, fills them, and then when their uh, job is done, the Spirit leaves them. But when Christ was about to ascend up into heaven, 
In John chapter 14, he comforted his disciples because he said that I will not leave you comfortless. I will send the Holy Spirit. It is expedient for me to ascend into heaven, to go back to the throne of God because I will send the Holy Spirit and everybody that will trust on my finished work on the cross will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So you can be my witnesses unto all the world. So when the Spirit comes into a believer, a believer is called the light and salt of this world. Sin corrupts, isn't it? And we as believers are the preservatives. Yeah. Tayong mga MSG. You know, the good one. You know? Because salt preserves. Isn't it? It makes the meat last longer so it will not rot or corrupt or be spoiled. And Christians who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who are doing God's will, are God's preservative in this darkened and sinful world. Aren't you glad? Wow. Hindi lang pala ako basta-basta. Kahit hindi ako matalino, kahit hindi ako mayaman, kahit hindi ako maganda, if I'm a Christian, I'm doing something for this world. I'm a preservative. I'm a salt that needs to season to have the savor being felt of the people around me. Isn't it? But once the salt is removed, when we get raptured, when we are snatched away from this world, then there's no more preservation found for this world. That's why evil will be dominant and rampant. Satan's full program of lawlessness and rebellion will swept through the whole world. Now there's still something restraining it. So let's look at some passage of scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay? Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you still there, folks? Yeah. Amen. Okay? I'll ask brother, I think I only put a, a couple of verses there, but uh, let's start with verses 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Alright, the Bible declares, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Okay, Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica, and he said there, he beseeched these brethren because they are kind of persecuted. They are kind of waiting for the coming of the Lord. And some of them, because... Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see there the great doctrine of the rapture, isn't it? Chapter 4, verse uh, 13 all the way to 17, when we read in 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So, some of the Thessalonians believers are thinking that they had missed the day of the Lord. They had missed Christ's second coming. And when they heard in 1 Thessalonians that Christ is coming, what they did is they become busybodies. They uh, left their jobs, they're just like twiddling their fingers and waiting for the Lord to come. And now they're depending on other people who have jobs to feed them. They become busybodies, they become beggars, and, and, and in the midst of that, they're being persecuted, so they are very discouraged. But Christ, uh, Apostle Paul had written Second Thessalonians to give them clarity of what he taught in the first letter. And he said there, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. What is that? The rapture, isn't it? Gathering together unto Him. Because there are two phases of the coming of God, of Christ, the second advent. The first phase is the rapture, which is only for all believers, for all saints, invisible. In the clouds is a private gathering. And also, 
the revelation of Christ after the seven years tribulation, which is a public one, which is visible because Christ will come into the clouds and land on the Mount of Olives and do his battle in the battle of Armageddon and establish his earthly reign, the promised kingdom. So that's two different scenarios. But the one he's talking here is the rapture. Are gathering together unto him, that ye be not, verse 3, soon shaken in mind or be troubled, see, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. They thought they, they missed Christ's second coming, establishing his millennial reign, because they have seen other of their loved ones and friends who had died in the Lord. I thought he's coming in our lifetime. Because the rapture is always imminent, isn't it? It could happen any moment. So verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, any means, for that day shall not come. What is that day shall not come? The great tribulation that will characterize the coming of the Lord after those seven years. That day shall not come except there shall come a falling away first. That day will not come. Christ will come back and establish his earthly millennial reign except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin, take note, be revealed, the son of perdition. What is the falling away there? The word is apostasy, which simply means a standing away from or falling away from the Greek word apostasia. So a falling away means a withdrawal or defection from the truth. What are the causes of falling away from the truth? There are several. I'll just uh, name to you some of them quickly. It may be the result of persecution, Matthew 24 verse 9 and 10. Maybe of false teachers, you fall away from the truth, Matthew 24, 11. Temptation, Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Worldliness, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. About inadequate knowledge of Christ, 1 John 2, 19. Moral lapse, you can turn away from the truth, fall away from the truth. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. How about forsaking spiritual living and worship? Hebrews 10, 25 to 31. Hindi church dyan. Bible study. Isn't it? You can fall away from the truth because there are going to be false teachers uh, clothed in wolf's clothing, uh, charismatic, uh, really eloquent, uh, mga psychologists pa that can, if you're not really rooted and grounded in the word of truth, can sway you. Alright? Or unbelief. You can fall away from the truth. Hebrews 3.12 while there are those in every generation who fall away, this will be a general condition prior to the revelation of the Antichrist. So in classical Greek, the word apostasy was used of a revolt staged by a military commander. And in the Bible, we have these two guys, apostasy of Saul and Amaziah, are just two examples of individuals rebelling against that revealed will of God. So the Christian should be careful to obey the word of God to the best of his ability so we will not fall away. Amen? And in the end, in the ultimate end, uh, and we can see it right now, even especially here in America, of, of um, humanism, isn't it? All this wor worldwide ism and weird ism. And there are even people who profess to be Christians who completely turn away from what they believe in. And we were discussing this like, a, I think, a week ago. Like, people who are prominent 
in the Christian arena like Joshua Harris. You know, only God knows his heart he was, if he's really genuinely saved, isn't it? Because in the end, God is the ultimate judge of man's heart. But he recant his faith, what, the, what he had, um, and he was a, a rock of offense. He's a stumbling block to a lot of Christians and non-Christians alike. Because in the end, there will be a falling away of the truth. See? That's one of the most uh, effective tools that the devil is using to turn a Christian who knows the truth before and fall away and turn away from the truth because that, ha that will be, have a, a more effect of making the people un have, uh, have this unbelief in the gospel. Isn't it? So you have to be careful. You need to be careful. So let's look at that verse. Let no man deceive you, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that they shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So who is this man of sin? Uh, in some other scripture, is the man of lawlessness. This is the beast out of the sea. In Revelation 13, 1, the little horn. In Daniel 7, 8, and the false Christ who will aim to rule the world. In Revelation 13, verse 15 to 17. This is the ultimate, the, the Antichrist. Because there's a lot of little Antichrist nowadays, isn't it? Even from the time of Christ, who are anti what Christ had taught in the beginning, isn't it? False teachers, but this ultimate one, this son of perdition, the man of sin, will be revealed during the days of the great tribulation. He says there in verse 4, Who opposed and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God seated in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? You know, when he was there in Thessalonica, in his letters in 1 Thessal Thessal Thessalonians, And now you know that withholdeth, what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Who is that speaking to? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. It says that he's the one that withholdeth, you know, and he's the one that will be taken away. So he's the great restrainer of evil. And when he is taken away, when when Christians are raptured, who are indwelled by the Spirit, when the preservative is gone, and the Bible says in verse 8, and then shall that wicked, capital W, the ultimate Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the Spirit of His mouth, that's at the end of the seven years tribulation, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Verse 9, even Him whose coming is after the working of Satan, that's the Antichrist, with all power and signs and lying wonders. See, people will believe on him. He will put a false treaty while all these things escalate. Uh, famine, pestilences, earthquakes, wars. And, and the Jewish people, the Israelite people will look for a Messiah and he will come in the sin. Charismatic. Probably they said he's, he's coming from the tribe of Dan because, you know, they are the first tribe who went to idolatry. And um, he said he's partly Jewish, he's partly Gentile. Some are saying it's the Pope. We don't really know. Only God knows. But you know what? We won't be here when he is finally revealed. Amen? But he's around now, working on the scene. I tell you, he is. He's alive and well. You know, this unholy trinity 
of the devil will be revealed in the days of the great tribulation. He has power and signs and lying wonders. That's why he will deceive the people of God. You know, the Jewish, and they will hail him as the long, the long-awaited Messiah. And there's a false treaty, and but you know, that's the first three and a half years of the great tribulation. And in verse 7, 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the law of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them, the people who are left behind, who reject Christ the first time, reject the gospel. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe they should believe a lie. Where did the Christians all go? They're all gone. Oh, the aliens abducted them or something happened. They will believe a lie. And they will take the mark of the beast. Not because they cannot buy or sell, but they want to worship the Antichrist, the false Messiah. And that will doom their soul for all eternity in hell. They will believe a strong delusion that they all might be damned, the Bible says in verse 12, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, they heard the truth. They, they were given some light of God, of who God is and what salvation is all about. But open-mindedly, they rejected it. So there are still people who's going to be saved in the days of the Great Tribulation. But there are people who had never heard the gospel or who had heard the gospel that they just procrastinate. But those who openly rejected it, like this so-called adamant atheists, oh, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in Jesus, they will believe a strong delusion. There's no more chance for them, as the Bible says. It says there that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. But we, here's the good news though, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God, this is speaking to us as Christians, because God had from the beginning chosen you to salvation through, uh, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Aren't you blessed, brethren, out of the 7.8 billion people in the world? You heard the gospel, somebody prayed for your soul, somebody witnessed to you, and God opened your heart and your understanding and you, you, you realize you're lost. You realize you're a sinner. You realize there's no amount of good works you'll ever do that can make it up for you to be earned the favor of God. That going to heaven, salvation is not by trying, but salvation is always by trusting what Christ had done for you. That's why salvation is a free gift of eternal life. It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to maintain it as yours. Because if you are holding on your salvation, you will always lose it. But if God is the one who's holding your salvation, it will be forever. Because God can keep everything because He's all-powerful. His word is true. Look at that. God has chosen you from the beginning to salvation through sanctification, being set apart of the Spirit and belief of the truth. We're on to verse 14, 2 Thessalonians. He called you by our gospel. The gospel that Paul is preaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. This is what we need to do right now as we're living in the latter end of the last days when there are going to be persecution, when there are going to be spiritual deception, when there will be going to be like a hardness in this life. This the COVID-19 probably is just a start. It's just like a precursor, a shadow of worse things to come. But here's the encouragement. Oh, 
The title is kind of catchy, Pastor Sam. Welcome to the tribulation. Somebody come. Are we already in the tribulation? Did I miss the rapture? No, that's just a title to get your attention. But you know what, who would welcome people in the tribulation? It's the devil and his cohorts. But if you are really saved, you won't be there. Amen? Amen. Don't escape it because you are not, you know, destined to experience the wrath of God. So the Bible says there, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. That's what we need to do. Stand fast. Hold the traditions or the customs that you have been taught. This is talk, talking about the apostolic doctrine that has been shared and taught and preached to the Thessalonians and the things also that we hold right now. The fundamentals of the faith, the cardinals of the faith. Stand fast on which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which had loved us and had given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. This is so comforting. Amen? And ta establish you in every good word and work. This is a nice and wonderful doxology. Admonition, admonition. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So go back to Matthew chapter 24. The Jews are the ones being addressed at this point. And here's something about their culture I know you'll find very interesting. We have a good young man here and an exceptional young lady who's about to tie the knot. It's coming a couple of days. I know they are very excited. They are elated. And uh, they might have eye bags now and some newborn wrinkles because of uh, stress. But you know, it's going to be worth it all. You know, once you hear those wonderful words, I do. So here is a Jewish tradition. When a couple was to be married, they would embark on an engagement period. Usually during those times, it was arranged by parents. At the end of this period, they would actually part company. The bride would go home, and she was instructed to watch and wait because the bridegroom could come to fetch her at any moment. She was to always be ready, always watching. And where was the groom? He was out there back to his father's house, preparing a place for his bride. In those days, he would just add on some rooms to his father's house. Sounds familiar? John 14? Hmm? It was not ready until his father said, it is ready. And told the son, go get your bride. Usually, he would fetch her in the middle of the night. That's why I have that song, Midnight Cry, you know? Approaching her house, shouting, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Then they would have a marriage supper and live happily ever after. So that's their tradition, their custom. You see, folks, the rapture of the believers of the church, of the bride of Christ, is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. And you know what? Nothing is holding it back other than God's perfect timing and perfect will. Many in this world would like to read of Christian influence, isn't it? We're living in that age now, in that day. And say the world would be a better place without us, without Christians, without Jesus freaks or the Bible fanatics. You know what? Any day they could get their wish. But the world won't become a better place. It will become hell on earth. Why? When the church is gone, here's the message now. I'll do it 10 minutes. <laughs> when the church is gone, have an introduction. Three things will be worldwide during the Great Tribulation. 
Three things will be worldwide when the church is gone in the Great Tribulation. From verses 9 of Matthew chapter 24 to 14. First, there will be worldwide anti-Semitism. Worldwide anti-Semitism. What is this? This is Jewish hatred on a worldwide scale. We know throughout history, the Jews have been hated and persecuted. The apple of God's eye. Uh, a group of people whom God raised through Abraham to give the law, to be a lighthouse to the whole world. And throughout history, the Jews have been hated and persecuted. And we know the atrocities they experienced last century under the demon-possessed Hitler. But you know what? It all began long before then. Just read your Old Testament. Read Genesis 3.15. Can we have that? Genesis 3.15. This is after the fall of man, and God is pronouncing the curse to uh, the characters of the first fall. All right? Uh, Adam, sweat of thy brow, that will till the ground so you can produce fruit. Um, the serpent, of course, uh, he lost his legs. And they said the serpent before is one of the most beautiful creature, grand. Some are saying, Bible scholars are saying, could fly, it's beautiful scales, he can walk. So that's why you know, Eve was not scared when the serpent talked to her. You know, because it's a beautiful creature. But it was cursed, it's gonna you know, crawl in the ground, it does, and it, it will give like a, a negative vibe every time somebody sees a snake, you know. Except the snake charmers, you know. But naturally, a, a person is always, Diba kahit maliit lang yan? Tatalun ka. Hey, ass. You know? So, merong dread na tinatawag. So, what happened? In Genesis 3.15, this is the pronouncement of the first gospel. The proto-evangelium. And the Bible says, And I will put enmity, or conflict, enemy, between thee and the woman, talking about Eve, the woman and the serpent, which represents the devil and his cohorts. Between thy seed and her seed. Oh, the woman has seed? It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The proto-evangelium, the first messianic prophecy of the Bible. It first contains the first glimpse of the gospel. It reveals three essential truths. That Satan is the enemy of the human race, explaining why God put enmity or related conflict or enemy between thee, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and that he would place a spiritual barrier between thy seed, Satan's people, and her seed, God's people, and that the representative seed of the woman, or that human being, which is going to be ultimately Christ, would deliver the death blow to Satan, but in so, he will be bruised himself, because Christ was bruised. On the cross of Calvary. So that's the conflict throughout the ages. The woman seed, the promised seed, the Messiah will always have a conflict. There will be an enemy altercation with the seed of Satan. Alright? So what had happened? If you look quickly at the Bible. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were cast out of the paradise. Alright? And they had two sons, Abel and Cain. Only two sons, but one murdered his brother Abel, isn't it? How really? The devil tempted him because he wants to ruin the seed. He wants to ru ruin the line. And God caused all people to be wicked in their imaginations, intents of their heart, 
and God has to cause a global flood in the times of Noah. But God preserved Noah and his family, eight souls. Noah, his wife, and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then, one of the sons committed sin against his father, Ham. And he was cursed, isn't it? But through the line of Shem, the godly line will come. And of course, Seth was born after uh, Cain uh, killed Abel, and God has always has a remnant. Amen? God has always has his people. God is always a step ahead of the devil, of the enemy. Amen? Because God is all completely sovereign. He rules and he reigns. So global flood, and then God said, go ye out and scatter, and God uh, and the devil probably put in the heart of Nimrod to unite all people and build the Tower of Babel to worship the sun, moon, and stars. Start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So God has to confound their language so they will be dispersed. Because united they fall, divided they can stand. <laughs> because they have a wrong leader. Isn't it? And isn't it? That's what's happening right now. Globalism. All in one, under one elite group who will rule. All right? Part of the last days. One world church, one world economy, one world ruler, one world government, one world church. All right? So what happened? God has to take out Abraham to start the Jewish race. The Hebrew children, the Israelites. So he will be given the law. So, you know, he can be a light to the Gentiles. He can show the Jews were given these three great, thing, three great things. Why God has chosen them as the apple of the eye. There's a purpose. Because they permeate the belief that there is only one God. Monotheism. The rest of the world are pagans. Polytheists. They believe in multiple millions of gods, isn't it? But the Jews always believe, Christians and Muslims alike, there's only one God. And then secondly, they were given the scripture, isn't it? Through the Israelite nation, through mostly Jewish authors. And then, of course, we were given the Messiah through the lineage of Abraham. In he, indeed, all of the families of the earth will be blessed because Christ came from the lineage of Abraham. But still, the devil is working behind the scenes. He made Abraham sin, isn't it? By being impatient. Oh, there's your handmaiden, Hagar, lie with her. Because I'm impatient of the promised seed, the promised uh, son who is Isaac. And there came the Arab world, which has a conflict until this day. The Jews and the Arabs, which, is, which comes from Ishmael. Because God said, I will bless you. Everything that comes from your seed will be blessed, isn't it? So he became also a mighty nation. You know, the Arab world. So what had happened? Jacob. Uh, from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob became a supplanter, a deceiver. And then Esau, uh, the sons of Isaac, even sold his birthright to Jacob. So there's like a lot of things dysfunctional. So the devil is going out of the scene until Jacob had 12 uh, sons, you know, which is the 12 tribes of Israel. And there was famine. And they went to Goshen in Egypt because Joseph was there to prepare the land for them. So they will not starve to death because God is preserving the seed. The promised seed all the way from Genesis 3.15. And what had happened? When the Pharaoh did not recognize Joseph's influence because he passed away and he sees that the nation of Israel is growing and because they were enslaved, he started asking the midwives in Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 1 verse 22. Exodus 1.22, to kill the male Jewish babies. But the midwives, if you want to name your girls these names, Pua. <laughs> okay, 
good, God-fearing midwives preserved and gave an excuse. So even during that time, the devil is trying to annihilate the seed, the promised son. That's why if you're a Jewish mother, it's your blessing, a big blessing, if you can produce a child, especially a firstborn who is a male. Because you're looking for the firstborn male to be the Messiah, promised Messiah. That's why if you're barren, you're accursed. You're, you're a loving stock. You are like not blessed, you know? So the first child that opened the womb for woman. So what happened? Throughout the ages, the devil is looking during the time of Moses, uh, rebellion, even in the times of Mount Sinai when he, he brought the, uh, the tablets of stone and everybody was like doing corruption, isn't it? Idolatry, immorality, and God said, I'm wrought with these people, I will annihilate them and start a new nation with you, Moses. Remember? And Moses has to plead against God, Lord, be merciful. You know? In this stubborn, stiff-necked generation. So God was merciful, but there are a lot of people who died during that time because of their immorality and rebellion. So throughout, the devil was working behind the scenes for that enmity, for that conflict. So he will stop the coming of the Messiah. Fast forward. Of course, there is David who sinned against God, but still God is gracious, isn't it? The lineage still, you know, uh, come with David through Nathan, and there's the Assyrian captivity. They got uh, rid of the temple, and they were dispersed. Now comes the New Testament. Isn't it? When Christ came, and then the wise men came and uh, to Herod in Jerusalem to worship the Messiah because they have read the writings of Daniel. They followed the star, the star of Bethlehem. And Herod said, oh, report to me so I could worship him too. And the wise men being given instructions by God through his angel departed because they know his evil scheme. So he was wroth, Herod. And what did he do? Like what happened in the times of Moses? He said, kill all the babies from two years down below. The devil is working through the heart of Herod, trying to get rid of the promised seed. Isn't it? All throughout the ages, until the times of Hitler and other people who are anti-Semitic. Look right now. Can we put the slides? What's happening in Israel right now? Look at Israel. Those are all the Arabs' world. They said, oh, that's the Palestinians' land. I'm not trying to be political here, but we as Christians who know the Bible, these lands are promised to the Jewish people. Actually, it will be fulfilled in the millennial reign. All the borders that they are promised during the time of the conquest in Cana, in the time of Joshua, it will be fulfilled. A small speck of land. Holy land, as they said. The Middle East. And all of that, they're their land, but they're fighting. You know, World War III will happen if something happens there when the Dome of the Rock is touched. And now there is conflict. Isn't it? And you know probably the news. Next one, please. You see? Uh, Israel is the third greatest military in the world right now. Why? Because we have good administrations before who bless Israel, who support Israel, who's an ally to Israel. That's why we have to pray for our government right now what their stand against our greatest ally in the Middle East. Because the blessing is still there. It's unconditional covenant in Abraham. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. You need to pray for the peace in Jerusalem so you will be blessed. That's why we have missionaries that are preaching to the Jews. We support missionaries. We pray for the peace because God, through the Jews, has given us the scripture, remember, the Messiah. 
and they believe in one God. We owe something to them. God used them. Despite of their national uh, rebellion against Christ when he was crucified 2,000 years ago because they did not meet their expectation. But look at that. They fire those rockets, what, hundreds of them, but they have something to intercept it. But still, some, of course, so many of them uh, landed and, and, and caused destructions and some lives, isn't it? Next slide, please. And these are the sirens that's been alarming for the past few days throughout. And for us who have been there in Israel, we, we can sort of relate. When we were there, it was peaceful and everything. But right now, these terrorist organizations are moving. And sad to say, are they being funded <laughs> by people who are here in the land of the free and the home of the brave? Sad, isn't it? Worldwide anti-Semitism. Huh? How about here in America? The graveyards are being desecrated, isn't it? For Jews. They are being persecuted. You know, it's been there throughout all ages. Because these are the people, sad to say, of darkness, of evil, of the devil. Satan's seed has a conflict, enmity. But you know what? The victory has already been won on the cross. Amen? And it's the good news. Jews and Gentiles alike can be saved and trust in Jesus Christ. Next one, please. So, that's my prayer for you. I don't care about your political stand, but if you believe in the Bible, you should stand with Israel. With Israel, because it's in the scripture. Next one. Okay, next. Pray for the peace. Pray that they'll be saved, because they will know real peace until the Prince of Peace resides in their heart. But you know what? God has a plan for them. There's going to be a national revival that will happen for Israel, but it will happened during the Great Tribulation. That's why it's called the 70th week of Daniel, Jacob's trouble, because God is not through with them. He's going to come back to them. Now is the time of the Gentiles, time for us to receive and hear the gospel. You know. But right now, because the, the rabbis have been hiding Christ for the past 2,000 years, but because of technology right now, the young people are getting information of what Christianity is all about, and they are now getting saved by the thousands. So I tell you, the 144,000 are probably alive and well right now. Huh? That will be the Jewish evangelists that will saturate the gospel of the world during that time. Next one, please. Okay. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. Amen? From henceforth, even forever. So God knows how to protect them. Ah, since... Israel was recognized as a nation again, May 14, 1948. Remember, there's a lot of wars, six-day Cold War and everything. Small speck. They're almost, our tour guide said to us in that battle in, in the Valley of Megiddo that they're about to be the brilliancy of their military tacticians. They have small weaponry and small soldiers, but they were able to overcome multiple enemies surrounding them because God is still not through with his people. He still has a plan for them. Next one, please. Okay. Secondly, what will happen during the Great Tribulation? Worldwide anti-Semitism, worldwide chaos. Verses 10 and 13 of Matthew 24. You won't be able to trust anyone. Parent will turn against child and vice versa. 
You think we've got crime problems today? Imagine unlocking every prison in the world. Remember the looting in New Orleans in 05? That will be a Sunday school picnic compared to that great tribulation of chaos. LA riots will, be seem, will seem like a walk in the park. You'll be afraid to walk into a public restroom during that time or even out your front door in broad daylight. In the early 60s, the USA officially kicked God out of the public school system. Since then, 560% increase in violent crimes, 419 increase in illegitimate births, 200% increase in teen suicide, divorce rate has tripled. This was simply the result of a change on paper. What do you think will be the result when the Holy Spirit is completely removed? The restrainer, when the believers are not here in this world. This world will go totally corrupt like never before. Then look at verse 13, and we have to end. All right? Uh, Matthew chapter 24. Um, Matthew 24, verse 13, the Bible says, But he that shall endure unto the end, I just want to point this out, the same shall be saved. Once again, in context, this is talking about the Jewish people, Israelite people, during the Great Tribulation. We know the only way for salvation in this present age, in our age of dispensation, the church age, the grace period, is salvation is by grace through faith. Minus nothing, plus nothing. Isn't it? Is holy of grace. You know, we believe in Christ and we got saved. But during this time, you have to believe and endure till the end. Because if you believe, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you'll be hunted, you'll be killed in most horrendous way. That's why you have to endure until the end and the same shall be saved. That's why in Revelation, there are those tribulation saints who are crying to God when God will, will judge. And God said, there's a time for that. So this has nothing to do with salvation in this present age of grace. Don't twist this verse to try to make salvation by works. I have to endure. I have to hold on. No. I have to be faithful until the end. What if you are not faithful until the end? You're about to die and then you had a wrong thought. Then you lose your salvation. Hmm? Isn't it? That's not biblical. The Bible is clear that it's not by me holding out by God, but by God holding on. But during the Great Tribulation, those who come to believe who never rejected Christ before the rapture, if they endure in their faith and not recant, will be accepted by the Lord, though they will pay for their faith with their lives in horrible ways. So three things as we wrap it up. There will be worldwide anti-Semitism, worldwide chaos, and verse 14, this is the good news, there is a worldwide preaching. Amen? This is a very misunderstood verse though. Many talks about getting the gospel out so Jesus can come back. Well, it's good for us to preach the gospel. We are commanded to. It's a great commission. It's a great command. There are Christian radio, share-a-thons, prayer-a-thons, all these thons. It is commendable to want to get the gospel out around the world. I do believe God wants all humanity to have a fair shot, but this is not the verse to prove your point. This verse is about the preaching that will take place during the Great Tribulation. As the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 8, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the two witnesses that will not be harmed because they are sealed, secured by God, and they will go all around the world and preach about the gospel of the kingdom. The bottom line is, for the Great Tribulation, you don't want to be here. And you don't have to be. Amen? Get under the blood. Get in the ark. 
Christians witness to your world. And if they say they don't believe all this foolishness, remind them that's what the people in Noah's day said. Today a lot of people has a boat or they know of a boat somewhere. But no, during that time Noah was the only one that had a boat because it never rained. But God was, God's word was still true and sure that there's judgment coming and you'll be wise enough to get into that ark, the ark of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the scripture. We can only scratch the surface of this. But thank you, Lord, for warning us that truly this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And this evangelism month, Lord, I know because of COVID-19, we are limited, restricted in sharing the gospel, but we can use some tools, some ways to let our loved ones know that we love them and we care for them. It starts with a burden. It starts with prayer. It starts with some boldness and wisdom in telling them in a simple way that God loves them. There's a problem of sin, which is, its wages is death, but God has prepared a way of escape. He loved us with an everlasting love. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And if they will just trust what he did for their salvation, they'll be safe. Lord, in two, three minutes, we can share the gospel. But sometimes, Lord, we are taken by fear. We are taken by embarrassment because they might ask some hard things. But all we need to say is salvation is real in us because we experience it. We experience the love of God. We were warned of a coming judgment, judgment against sin. But also we are given the good news that God wants to restore that broken relationship caused by sin. God wants us to have eternal life and a place in heaven. So in this month of evangelism, help us to be a better witness. Help us to encourage people to get into the ark of safety. And we know that ark represents Jesus Christ, who is our salvation. Truly, salvation is of the Lord. But this time that we've been studying in Matthew chapter, it will be an awful time. If people that we love will never be warned and be left behind, or they will reject utterly what you are offering to them. So help us, Lord, now to have that passion and burden. We know we cannot save the whole world, but we can save the people we care about, those near us, those that are near uh, we have a sphere of influence, especially our immediate family. Maybe our co-workers or friends. So before I uh, end this invitation, as we always do, if you're here, you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior. What I mean is, I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you've been baptized because no amount of good works can ever give us a passage to heaven. Because if we can bring ourselves to heaven by good works then there's no more reason for Christ to come and endure that cruel cross and die if we can save ourselves but God knew we cannot we could never save our own selves because we're all sinners God's standard is perfection and nobody's perfect we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God as the Bible says in Romans 3.23 but whosoever that shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans 10.13. And 
God said in Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt believe with thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So if you're here today, you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you have, you're, you're on your way to heaven, I want to encourage you, why not trust Christ today? Don't try anything else. Just trust Him. Just, just pray the simple prayer, a prayer of putting your faith in Jesus. Mean it with all your heart and say this, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me and you died on the cross for my sin. You shed your blood and you rose again. I realize I'm a sinner. I repent of all my sins. And by faith, I receive your offer of free gift of eternal life. And help me to live for you from this day forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hope you have prayed that prayer. If you did, let us know. For believers here, let's use our resources to expand the gospel, the kingdom of God. Because those are only the two things that will remain for all eternity. The souls of men and the word of God. So let's invest in something that will matter for all eternity. Let's get to know Him more. Let's share Him. Let Him be lifted up in our lives. Father God in heaven, you, you hear the prayers of Thy people. Thank You, Lord, for their patience in listening. This old preacher, I hope, Lord, that I, I've been of help in some way, that the Word of God had motivated us, encouraged us. Thank You, Lord, that we are spared from the wrath to come because Christ uh, suffered everything for our salvation on the cross. So help us, Lord, to stand fast. If we are persecuted, if we endure difficulties, tribulation in this life, let us not be complainers. Let us not lose faith. Let, let, let us not have doubts of who you are. But let us keep on keeping on, Lord living for you and serving you because it's worth it. And we pray for our loved ones, Lord, that are not yet saved or friends. Be merciful to them. Extend, Lord, the opportunity and chance for them to hear the gospel. Change their heart of stone and transform it soft heart of flesh so your word can penetrate it, Lord, and bring forth fruit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.